0: Welcome to the Detoxicity Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph. I hope you and yours are remaining safe and healthy. I appreciate your support of this podcast, so please make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen. Also, feel free to leave a comment and a rating on the podcast if the platform supports it, and thanks to all of you who have left ratings so far. You can follow me on Instagram at it's Mike Joseph. and if you have an idea for a show or if you'd like to be on the show yourself, drop me a line at detoxpod at gmail.com. In this particular episode, I am talking to Dylan Thomas. Dylan is a co-creator and a co-host of Life on the Swing Set, a podcast that tackles sexual education and communication with the focus on polyamory, open relationships, and swinging. Dylan is also an unrepentant geek, a husband and dad, and someone who's greatly invested in not only his personal growth, but the growth of others. As a former Swing Set co-host, I was intrigued to chat with Dylan about how he balances his various roles, some of which people might view as mutually exclusive. Check this conversation out, y'all. It's a good one
1: i'm dylan thomas uh i am the podcast host of life on the swing set uh it is a podcast talking about open open relationships sexuality and sometimes a lot more uh i am a family guy and an it professional and all around board gamer uh computer gamer nerd and person that is looking forward to interface with more people so yeah
0: (laughs) that's a lot of stuff do you is there like a hierarchy to what you identify as or is does that change depending on who you're speaking to at any given time?
1: I have a lot of containers <laughs> so, <laughs> you contain yeah. multitudes Dylan. yeah definitely uh, i'm I'm definitely the the sports dad as the father of a teenager, so my son is a competitive bowler really and so i've done i yeah i've shifted a lot of energy toward bowling lately uh, and traveling for that uh, I do do a lot of podcast stuff uh i used to do a lot in roller derby so if you'd asked me like nine months ago uh that que- that same question i would have said i'm a roller derby referee and have been in the roller derby community for about eight to nine years and now i can officially say that i am not you're Which- retired i am retired yes i'm actually i'm even wearing a referee derby thing right oh now. yeah look at that realized it right yeah but uh the community is really awesome and i love the sport but i have uh move to another stage of my life, let's just say it that way. Okay. That, that sounds really pretentious. But no, but I mean,
0: it is what it is. <laughs> People outgrow uh, things all the time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I have a, I have a wife. I happen to be both polyamorous and a swinger. And I move about uh, those two worlds and the kink world pretty fluidly. So the, you know, what do I introduce myself as really kind of depends on who I'm around. Uh, so I'm not, cont- I'm not keeping other parts of myself in a container. I just happen to be... That thing first, and then all the other things. So
0: now I know you through Life on the Swing Set, as I was a cast member. I, what do you call it? A panelist? Uh,
1: you were a podcast host.
0: I was. Yes, I was a co-host for, yeah. for for some time. And one thing I don't know that I ever found out from you and Cooper is what is the origin story of Life on the Swing Set?
1: Cooper and I accidentally found each other uh, first as friends. And then as something more uh, in the orbit of each other, because I was looking for something more than a traditional marriage, but I didn't know what the hell was out there. And he had been doing that and had done some of the work and then mentioned that swinging was one possible route to doing something more. And we embraced that, found that we really loved it, looked for some resources on how other people were doing it and found that those resources didn't really do a great job of, uh, Opening us up to the greater world of swinging. So, uh, other than you know people telling stories about how they gave the best blowjob in the world or things like that. So, <laughs> which is great. I d- I don't want to knock that at all. Sure. So we decided to start that podcast ourselves, and with three other people, pretend like we knew everything that we were talking about for a while, and then quickly found out that we didn't, and decided to be a little more humble about it. <laughs> right on. Yeah. So, th- th- and that's really been it. We we've been. Really, really blessed with meeting a lot of awesome people that we have listened to quite a bit and built off of. And uh, if we're doing our jobs right, given a lot of credit to it has evolved about eight times since then.
0: <laughs> it's got to be nice, though, to have a fluid, a thing that can be fluid, but also continue. You you just hit like a milestone for the podcast recently, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, we hit, well, we hit 375 very recently. And so we're like on the road to 400. Wow. Uh, the milestone was 10 years of podcasting. So at the moment, I don't know of any other podcasts that have lasted that long, which is scary because I know we're not the only one, but uh, we're we we're, we're pod daddies, pod granddaddies now, <laughs> which is kind of weird. <laughs> I don't has- want to be the adult in the room, but I'm not actually <laughs> the adult in the room. Hashtag pod daddy. I love
0: it. <laughs> How has doing this podcast expanded your worldview? Like, how has that, how has it changed you as a person? Has it changed you as a person?
1: It's changed me a lot. Uh, I think the, the selfish reason that has changed me doing the podcast is that it's forced me to introduce myself to a lot of different people and listen to them because content, right? So that's the selfish reason. But just doing the podcast would not have been enough for me to want to do it for 10 years. So I found that I really enjoyed not just meeting different kinds of people, but really understanding that there was real value to having people with other life experiences than me around me and in my life and me in their lives. And I loved it. Uh, I like that. I I had, you know, a a sheltered experience uh, and a very specific experience when I was a kid. Uh, growing up in the Chicago suburbs, uh, being, being Mexican, you know, all that stuff. So I had a very specific upbringing that was not like a lot of other people. And because of also being Catholic, I had no experience at all with anybody, anybody queer. So once I realized that I should have realized this when I was younger, by the way, but once I really understood that, uh, the queer community isn't something separate and equal, Uh, or, or worse. Right. But like, it is just like, we're just, we, there are a lot of wonderful people out there that if I would expand my worldview and my heart to, that would allow me to both contribute and enrich their lives and enrich my life. Uh, and just in general, friends, family, all that stuff. And I have a lot of chosen family now that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't sat back and accepted that what I know and what I expect are, uh, are different than what's out there. And I should be, interested in changing and evolving all the time so i would have that would have happened at a much slower rate if i hadn't have done it because of the podcast
0: of course of course so for the uninitiated explain swinging and polyamory and what that means to you because as i've gone through my own journey what i have realized is that it can mean very different things to different people
1: Mm -hmm. so my experience with swinging is i think we all have lusty thoughts for a lot of people (laughs) and swinging allows me to express those lusty thoughts in a way that allows me to still love and support uh, and be supported and be loved by my wife. And we get to not just have fun in separate interactions, but we get to have fun together. And it's really nice having a teammate, I guess. And so, well, we don't have to be active together. We can be, and know that we're kind of supporting each other. So I mean, I'm very lucky that I, that I am in, uh, a marriage. And then I get to do this with, with a partner. Uh, But yeah, that allows me to like lust and execute on that lust with permission and support. And, and I love that. And it, and it happens that there's a community that does this all the time. So it's not like we're trying to drop in and figure stuff out from scratch. We get to try to move about an existing community and, and connect with people. Uh, and there are all sorts of rules and other stuff like that that don't really matter. Uh, all that really matters is that we all get to, uh, touch each other's butts and have a good time. So. <laughs> Unless
0: there are people that don't like having their butts touched.
1: Right, right. And there are those people out there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How, because you you were brought up Catholic, as was I, what was the journey like from, like, kid Dylan, growing up with all of these Catholic ideals, to <laughs> grown-up Dylan, who has evolved into... Somebody who sort of understands all of these ideals that some would say are not um, parallel to Catholic ideals. You know what I'm saying? Like, what 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 is that evolution like?
1: Well, everything that didn't conform to my ideals of the non-sinful and the pure of heart and all that stuff, for a long time, were something to fight against. Like, I was engaged in a war for the soul of myself and the soul of my community and the soul of my country due to uh, the intervention of a lot of friends of mine. uh, It made me realize that, you know, maybe I shouldn't have to feel that way. Like I'm not at odds with the rest of the world that there are people that can live different lives than me and that's okay. And I kind of followed that philosophy through uh, for a really long time and found that I was programmed in a lot of ways and I feel a lot of ways because it's the way I was programmed but it didn't mean i couldn't change or work around some of that programming and so a lot of the work that i've done since then has been to understand why i feel a certain way or why i have a certain idea of how things should work or conception of a person and act to change that or talk to people about it so that i can figure out what what i should do about it if anything and Listening is the biggest thing that I changed in my life, and maybe it got me from baby Dylan to adult Dylan, I think just learning to listen
0: You are a dad mm-hmm. of as you said before we we cut the uh, recorder on of a uh, an almost adult mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> how does how does that feel because it's like right in that middle spot between this is my kid and we're dadding and kidding together and This dude is about to be in college and is going to be like, peace out, dad. Potentially, maybe not. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to go somewhere and kind of live my own life. It's that sort of beginning of ending of dependence, beginning of independence sort of phase. Like, how does that feel as a father?
1: It's well, listen, I mean, parenting is hard no matter what. Right. And so I think that's something that anybody with a kid or with a cousin that they care of or anything is going to (laughs) understand And, uh, it, it feels really nice to know that somebody who I've been have lovingly invested a lot of time and effort into, uh, has really turned into a person I can love and respect for all of my 15 year olds faults and, or anger <laughs> or hormone fueled anger. Every 15 right? year old yeah.
0: has faults. Yeah,
1: but he, he really is. A... So I had to learn to listen and understand people and, and like just pay attention. And he's picked that up. Uh, I'd like to think that kids are either wired to do that or not, but no, I, th- I think that's one of the things that's a skill set that you have to kind of learn and be taught. And you might be wired to understand it a little better from scratch or from, from the start, but he wouldn't be as, uh, I, w- he wouldn't be this person without my wife and I, and I had a, big impact on him. And I know he's going to go out in the world and be that to other people because I've already seen that that in him. You know, he's been that to adults. He's been that way to his friends and kids his age and to younger kids. And it was always uh, – I was always afraid that he might be a bit of a bully to younger kids because that was my experience with older kids. And he's been very, very generous and and loving with, with kids underneath him. Uh, and whether it's in sports, you know, helping them out, stuff like that, or just – understanding that kids need some attention sometimes and giving it to them without, um, asking. So it's a privilege to be able to mold somebody like that, even if it takes 15, 18 years <laughs> to do right. Like I'm putting someone good out in the world and that feels really wonderful.
0: Right. I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a long term project. Like, you know, good kids don't just kind of like pop out of the woodwork. Like there, there has to be some, um, Active active processes involved in that. Mm-hmm. How much, if anything, does your kid know about the other Dylan Thomas side? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, he definitely know the podcast exists, uh, so that's you know that's a cat out of the bag, right? Okay. But he knows that uh, we, my wife and I, have relationships with other people, um, loving long term relationships, and Especially because they have some of them have some people have come to be really treasured partners in our lives and we want to share that and we want to share kind of most of our lives with them. So at that point, they're around enough that it would be really weird if he didn't really know (laughs) what the nature of our relationship are. Right. Sure. It is. um, And he is aware that. And see, this is where the 15 year old thing comes in. Right. Because like it's hard to hide the fact that you're having sex with somebody. But you also don't want to acknowledge the fact that you're having sex with somebody because it's not really desired or appropriate to talk to a 15-year-old, 15-year-old about that, right? right? Yeah, so he comes up to me and asks, so why do you always like to have people spend the night? And I look at him. He asked me this last year, and I looked at him and said, do you really want to know? And he kind of just shrugged his head and turned around. <laughs> I'm like, okay, fine. Which means uh, he knows. Yeah, he, he knows and he doesn't, right. But yeah. uh, with casual sex... Uh, with swinging he understands that we do but no details he just you know if we go out in a night maybe we are doing it maybe we're not he doesn't know and we're not interested in telling him sure he just understands that it's a thing that we happen to be so not hiding but you know age appropriate ways of communicating about it um i don't think i'll ever get bro with him about it though.
0: right that that just (laughs) feels like it would be really awkward I mean, even if you're both adults and you're kind of like hanging out and I, I can't picture that kind of conversation taking place in any kind of comfortable manner.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I don't care how hot of a partner he ends up getting. It's going to be a, <laughs> it's going to be a real, real big stretch for me to ever comment on that. Right. So, <laughs>
0: right. Um, I think and I, I try not to editorialize on these podcasts. I'm fine with everyone with the guests editorializing, but I try to be kind of the neutral host. But I love the fact that that there are young people coming up in the world with this wider definition of sexuality and relationships and it's not just, you know, heterosexual, one partner, marriage, till death do you part, you know, the the sort of ideal that I think you and I grew up with. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I saw a lot of unhappy relationships in that sort of realm.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
0: It's just nice to know that there are young people that are growing up with options and that, you know, there are kids growing up in these sort of more unconventional kind of relationships. And it, 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 I think this conversation, I hope that somebody listening to it realizes that, you know, a swinging or polyamorous lifestyle and a loving relationship with a partner and raising a child in a healthy manner; those things are not mutually exclusive.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of people that think they are. Yeah, and and to get—I don't know how much evidence you've seen about the, the new generation of the kids. Like, I'm 38 now, and so I'm not—I wouldn't—I don't feel old. I'll just say that. <laughs> seeing people come into the community at like polyamory more than swinging. Yeah, but at like 23, 24 that have been having group sex, uh, for like seven or eight years. I'm like, wow, that is, uh, you know, either group sex or multiple relationships or anything like that. Uh, The group sex thing was just the most shocking thing that I'd heard. It's like, yeah, we had like a fuck party when I was 15. I'm like, (laughs) how
0: does that even happen? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's the, it's the internet.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was like it's like you know I had the libido for that but no way to do anything with it. Right. 19. How
0: how are you going to know when where that stuff when and where that stuff was happening in the 90s?
1: Yeah, no, kid, kids, yeah, listen, my son is pretty verifiably straight at this point. But he is also very comfortable uh around uh you know queer trans folk, a lot of other people that might otherwise be really stigmatized by society. And um and that is something that I think requires a little more teaching instead of under Well oh, no, you know what? No, I'm wrong. Kids come by default accepting yes. of people and then they're taught not to. So yeah, yeah that's correct. they they grew up yeah, so grew up growing up without that programming as allowed a lot more kids to um just be part of communities without boundaries, like we said. And
0: this I feel like I don't wanna put bring the you know make this a sound bite. What can you extrapolate as like the biggest lessons you have learned about masculinity from the life that you've lived?
1: Ooh. I don't want to decide between two, so I'll just say two. Both. Yeah. That it's okay to love other men.
0: And expand on that a little bit just for like, I know what you're talking about, but
1: yeah. So not, not, Talking about romantic love, even though it can be romantic love. Like just really loving and appreciating the the men in your life without having to keep them at an arm's length and be worried about maybe feeling a little too much for somebody and or like cuddling, you know, like guys sitting together just chilling, you know, whether it's back to back or just playing on video games or stuff. Like that that's the kind of stuff I did with my uh my female friends when i was younger quite a bit Uh, even if we weren't in some sort of relationship but like there was always a hard distance between the other guys around me even if we were great friends and it's not required that you do that Uh, i still have that feeling right like there's a little buzzing that happens to me when i get a little too intimate with other men as in like next to them um whatever right And I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to see that go away. Uh, And I I think that's ground into me, right? But I don't think he has that. I think he can be shoulder to shoulder with other men that he's friends with and not worry about it being, uh, you know, without it being gay. You know, that that's uh, and that's yeah. Yeah. Not being worried to love other men. I can tell other men in my life that I love them and not be worried about anything about it. And that's,
0: that's awesome because you are a straight male Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and you're able to sort of bridge that divide, even though it still doesn't come, might not come naturally to you, or you may feel like a little uncomfortable. It's weird for me because I am not a straight man and I kind of have the same feelings. Like it's just, and it might go back to the Catholic upbringing, just being like, you know, there's supposed to be a respectable distance, Mm -hmm. you know, and as someone who is very tactile and, enjoys non-sexual touching and cuddling like it that's a very hard bridge to cross like it's very hard to articulate in a way that can assure the other person that it is not sexual mm. i don't know if you've had that issue with people at all. i mean your podcast partner is a uh, queer mm. and i feel like i've cuddled with both of you
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Like, I, I think there's a lot, and I think I speak for a lot of men out there who I think, if they were given the permission to or were able to sort of get the thoughts out of their head, would be very happy to express, you know, physical, non sexual intimacy with another
1: man. I think so. I, I think that the be best that uh, a lot of older adults. Can get to is just not worrying about it right and i think that that's maybe a, a, a thing that the next generations can enjoy like it can be not just okay but welcome to to really be uh to have intimacy with other men without it being sexual uh yeah i think I, that would be nice i don't have that but i think that'd be nice you know
0: i threw you way off track by the way you were you were you were going i think you were going into another point
1: oh okay so so swinging uh funny thing about how the uh lesson about masculinity kind of flows into that i could be buck naked shoulder to shoulder with a dude with my with my dick in a woman and we could be high-fiving <laughs> and there would be no problem with it right like like we'd be skin to skin fucking does that someone really happen
0: skin. is there like does the high-five happen
1: I wish it did (laughs) like I've never actually done that but it's like in my head it it sounds really cool right (laughs) but no I've, I've definitely been around other men with no space between us because we're fucking people around each other and it's no problem because it's like situational and you're doing something very manly and so it's definitely okay to do that but then like all of a sudden you have clothes on and then there are these you know space barriers around it um especially when you're around a lot of people that have unchallenged uh masculine ideals it's like it's weird. You know, those same dudes can be right next to me fucking somebody. And then the second that the clothes go on, it's like, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yep. I think the second thing, this may be a radical concept, right? But that um, women are people too. Oh my God. Like, it's <laughs> not that, it's, yeah, I mean, it's not like I didn't, it's not that I saw them as not women, but I didn't, think, or as not people, but. For a long time, it didn't feel real to me that there was something happening in someone's mind that wasn't me. I knew that was that way with, with guys. And I know I'm talking a lot of gendered right now, right? Yeah, I'm just that's referring fine. To like Yeah. So like I knew that it was that way with other guys. But with girls and women at the time, like it was just they were people around me. But they were people that I had to interface with and learn to deal with and or convince of, of things and not really people that had their own minds hearts desires all that stuff and it's weird to say it that way because like it's it's obvious it should be natural it should be default and it wasn't to me for a long time because women were there to be pursued and claimed you know i gotta find my wife i gotta build my house and have my wife and she's gotta hold down the house and have the kids and all that stuff and that means that women were a lot closer to property for me than they were to people and uh that took less time to deprogram. just just for the record right like the the masculine intimacy thing that's taken a lot of work the women thing did not take nearly as much work although it still was definitely a lot of work and i still find myself having to check myself on occasion because i get feelings i get feelings about women challenging me on my ship I love mm-hmm. when it happens because I need people to challenge me on my shit all the time, but I still get ugly, ugly feelings sometimes and it's, it bugs me. And so I just keep thinking and working through it. And, uh, the fact that I can still be cool after that, um, has helped a lot. And it all started with women are people too. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> it's,
0: uh, that's a, 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 uh, a conclusion. I think, I don't think, I know, a lot of men have yet to come to, which is frightening in mm. some ways. How do you think that, going back to, to speaking about um, swinging specifically, I guess in this case, how has the fact that you are a minority played into that? How has that affected your experience? Because, I mean, yeah. as as someone... Sorry as someone who is who is not a swinger but uh considers himself polyamorous and sort of floats on the peripher periphery of the polyamorous community here in new york i there's definitely a um what am I trying to say here there there is in in ethnicity imbalance mm-hmm. um and i don't see a lot of non white people um and i certainly don't see very many uh, latinx people i see barely any asian people um, i do see a, a more black people than any, than any other minority but it really feels like and i think we've discussed this on swing set before to me it feels like straight white men and their by wives by white wives or girlfriends um so as a not white as a not not white person do you Feel as though your experience is different. Like, what, what has your experience been like in that?
1: Yeah, um, I can tell you that the, uh, one of the ways I understood that my experience was a lot different was the first time I walked into a club and there were a majority of minorities there. I'm like, oh, there is some color in this room, I really? like this, and then all the yeah, and then I'm like, uh, you know, it, it happened for the first time last year, too. It's not that I haven't been around clubs or situations where there have been. A lot of other people of color but like i walked into that club and i'm like oh huh this there's a this is nice <laughs> and i could relax a little bit because one of the things that uh, one of the ways my experience is different is i can be flirting with somebody and have things go really really well but if their husband isn't okay with uh their wife getting with a mexican person then then all of a sudden like i'll get a look or i'll get an understanding when they talk or something, uh-huh. like, oh God damn it. Uh, and it just means that uh, I have to be a little extra careful about chatting with uh, both people at the same time, engaging both of their interest in me. I mean, I know you have to do that anyway. in in regular, you know, good old, old fashioned American, you know, couple swinging. Right. <laughs> uh, but it just adds another layer to that. And so there's always this extra like, but are you also OK with me as? Because I'm also a big, I'm a big dude. So, like, are you okay with me as a person? Are you okay with me as a big dude? Are you okay with me as, as Mexican? And then if we can get past all that, then we're good. And that's the thing. Like, it shouldn't be after something I get past in order to be able to pass go and get $200. It's just, it should just be fine. And with polyamory, it's, I haven't felt that as much, but I definitely have noticed way more in polyamory that it's very, very white. Uh, even here in Chicago, and that's not to say I don't have black and brown friends that are polyamorous. It's just that there are less of them. Sure. And, and I, I always wonder if I just, if there's a, uh, a separate population in Chicago that I just haven't tapped into that does it. And I have not found a, uh, Latinx population of swingers and non-monogamous or non-monogamous people at all. It's not that they don't exist. It's not that I haven't seen them, but it's not like they've all gotten together. And if I'm in a lot of the spaces and I'm not seeing them and they don't have their separate spaces then what does that just mean? There are less of them. Maybe. Uh, I know that like Kevin Patterson out in Philadelphia has tapped into a separate underground ish group of, of um, non-monogamous black people out there that mm-hmm. he has a good time running around. And he also has to keep them separate from the, the, the whiter polyamorous communities because they don't seem to mesh too well. And I mean, he, it's not like he found the solution to that, uh, to, to solve that problem. Right. He just has to kind of be, he has to kind of keep those two populations separate. He doesn't mix those friends very much. And that was really strange and disappointing and also not surprising. to me.
0: Yeah. I, I can see that. I, I am sure. I mean, there are meetup groups specific to polyamorous black people. I don't, I've never seen anything, um, like, earmarked for other ethnicities or even other sexualities, to be perfectly honest with you. But, uh, you know, I've certainly, again, as someone who's sort of on the periphery of of New York's poly circle, I've definitely seen some cultural butting up against one another, um, which is a shame. But, uh, I I mean, that's also kind of a microcosm of life. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's like the whiteness in and of itself isn't necessarily the problem. It's right. the a little extra exclusivity or side eye that gets given whenever there is an effort to reach out. Like it, like it becomes the token diversity invite as opposed to just an invite where uh, people are reached out to specifically to come on in and invite their friends and stuff like that, you know? Like, right, it's, it's not that, That's like, the thing doesn't feel good.
0: Right, it's not like I'm going to just invite my friends to this. It's, wow, we're really white and we need to do something to make this look a little bit more diverse. So, hey, you invite this black person you know. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and it, it feels very forced and, um, like, performative. Mm-hmm. And as a black person, it sort of makes me uncomfortable. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird situation all around. And, you know, I assume your experience, well, certainly different than mine, uh, also because you're straight. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I as would I assume that there would be some similarities there as well. Definitely. Like, you mentioned that you're a bigger guy. Um, in terms of body acceptance, uh, what has that been like for you and been like also just kind of as a result of being in these circles where you are unclothed a fair amount
1: of the time it's really tough when i go in and i don't have a lot of confidence or feel good about my own body which doesn't happen a lot now but it used to happen a lot uh and of course that gets stacked onto the whole like i'm new in this thing and i don't know how to flirt with people because it's been a long time and stuff like that it does mean that i want to talk to people first before i get naked and then get naked because I am I put a lot of stock in my personality and in my humor and just you know any anything person to person. Uh I can make my way through any conversation and be entertaining and kind of figure out what the other person is hoping for. Uh and so I'd say that I can get somebody's attention from across the room because I got a great look and a great smile and I can hold a conversation. But if I'm naked, then I have to get over the bigger dude thing in order to get there. So it doesn't bug me, but it does mean that I interface with people a little differently initially. But again, like if I'm super confident when I'm naked, which I definitely am, then it also changes the math around that.
0: Right. Because they have to meet you in your neighborhood, so to, so to speak.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: You know, you're not walking in there like you're not bringing off a vibe of being uncomfortable.
1: So. And at that point, like I'm not desperate for attention. You know, if they want my attention, they got to come and get it. Right. And if they don't, then they don't. So it's like there's already a response bias. They're positive if somebody comes up to me. Right. So it's all good. you (laughs) on. done.
0: I want to talk about nerdy stuff for a minute Mm because you're an IT person. And this is my own bias now speaking here. Uh, IT folks. And I like I have many friends who do that stuff. They're all pretty nerdy. Mm Um. And you are... I'm, I'm just trying to remember this stuff that I know about you. You're a comic guy? Yeah. You are a comic guy. Okay, I got that one right. What, like... how Do do your nerdy world and your other worlds intersect at all? Obviously, professionally, they certainly intersect. But um, do they intersect in any other ways?
1: In surprising ways? It, surprising ways. <laughs> surprising ways. Board games in particular as a nerdy thing are way more popular now than they used to be. Like, I felt like everybody was a closeted board game person back in the day. And now people are kind of popping up and being interested in it, but not knowing how to communicate it because it's a nerdy thing that you don't want to open up about. But like <laughs> you just have that one keyword in your dating profile, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, they're board gamers too. And then all of a sudden a whole bunch of other like open feelings get attached to that person, in that profile board game fans, Star Trek fans, Uh, they're all out there and it's just kind of an extra thing that we can talk about when we're not fucking. And it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe when we are, who knows? Right? Yeah.
0: I mean, those conversations can be had at any time. And maybe some people see those conversations as being a turn on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You say chuckling, uh, knowingly. (laughs) (laughs) So here's a quote. You're, one of the I think I've only interviewed maybe one other person so far that has has kids. What does your kid know, or what have you taught your kid as a dad that you wish knew you were taught when you were a kid?
1: It's okay to like and love who you want to.
0: That is weirdly the exact same answer <laughs> that I got from the previous parent that I interviewed.
1: Damn. Wow. Okay. <laughs> he
0: was, he was mentioning how he's um, about to get married and his, his kids are late teens, early twenties. And uh, his fiance has two kids that are a little bit younger, uh, like pre teenage. And Um, my friend was talking about talking to the, the boy kid. And it was like, so when you meet a girl and his mom was like, or a boy, you don't know. Um, and that's a conversation that I've seen uh, quite a few of my friends who are parents having or talking about having with their kids. And it's not a conversation that I that would have had with any of my older relatives growing up. And so I think it's definitely generational, but I think it's a great conversation because it gives kids confidence that if they do turn out to be queer... They can bring whoever they want home to mom and dad, and it's not going to be a big issue.
1: Yeah, uh, that would be. Yeah, it's basic, but it's real nice. Uh, I, I have the advantage. I should say we have the advantage of uh, my wife also being uh, pretty strongly bisexual, and so finding finding a way to communicate that in because it had mostly been related to sexuality, and now she is finding her place in the queer community now, which is which is really cool. Like it, it didn't feel good that I happened to be more experienced in the queer community than she, an actual queer person was, right? <laughs> and, and, and now it's like, okay, finally, finally, the tables have turned. A very happy now. I mean,
0: but that but, was involvement more than it was practice.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was.
0: yeah.
1: Uh, not that I didn't try, but yeah. It's like, it's, you got to challenge your preconceptions sometimes, I, right? I, I, you know, <laughs> it took me a long
0: time to get to a point where I was like, okay, there are some people that are legitimately 100% straight and there are some people who are legitimately 100% gay, I do feel that far less or far more people fall somewhere in between, whether, you know, leaning towards one end or leaning towards another end or right in the middle. But there are few folks who live on the binaries, and I respect that you gave it a shot and they were like, eh, you know, not so
1: much. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I, I appreciate that. It, it, took some kissing and a dick sucking or two but you know it's like you know what no okay not for me it's all good (laughs) but but like even even though that's true right like it's just meant that i'm now that we have this idea of sexuality as something other than the binary like what at what point am i not straight anymore if i'm attracted to everybody but men and masculine folk right like because because i'm not interested in men i'm not interested in masculine folk but like uh genderqueer non-binary, whether it be androgynous or femme presenting or somewhere in between all that, right? Like there's still a very good chance I'm attracted to somebody and I'm I'm interested in somebody along that, but I still feel straight. I don't think that's that stuff means I can't be straight anymore, right? Like, yes, if I was interested in a guy, that would be a clear indication that I'm not straight. But there's nothing in me dating Uh, non-binary person for several years that means that i'm not straight uh there's just i don't know like it it's it's weird like i i'm one of the few straight people i know that doesn't i was gonna say that doesn't identify as queer that's weird i'm one of the (laughs) people with the broadest level of attraction that i know that still identify as straight and for me it's just because there's no reason for me not to i think yeah i
0: mean identity is ultimately whatever you decide it is Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so but uh, you know i mean that is certainly a a more open-minded level of straightness than most people would uh would sign off on you're probably right yeah but i mean again like you are (laughs) what you are what is the biggest misconception about either swinging or polyamory what do you think? I should say is the uh, biggest
1: misconception? I'd say for swingers that uh, swingers are always looking to fuck you and your and your wife or husband. <laughs> uh, like you know, like like a gun that's loaded and, and cocked and ready to go, right? Like no, it's I don't look at everybody's uh, everybody's partners as like potential sexual targets, right? So um, that about swinging and. That everybody that's in polyamory wants to have the uh, the big polygamist compounds.
0: <laughs> are you one of those like um, people that wants to to build like a commune somewhere and just do the whole communal living with like fifteen
1: people? And I I put a lot of thought into that because it feels like it's something I should want. Like oh, all the people that I love in my life are all together and we all have fun interwoven relationship with each other. It should be good, right? But like, I like my distance. Uh, Even truly loved people in my life. I could live with them and it would be great. But then there would be weird dynamics that happen whenever somebody's having a bad day, right? Like if I'm having a bad day, um, especially if like my wife and, and that partner aren't involved with each other, but they're friends with each other and, or yeah, it's just like there anytime someone has a bad day, there's a potential for that to kind of ripple along the whatever web that's woven in that commune. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like there's so many points of failure that it would be a very unpleasant experience. So maybe when I'm put out to pasture at whatever age that is, uh, I can, you're not I a horse. Hear, <laughs> there's a joke in there about being a stud though
0: <laughs> I'll have to figure out how to make right?
1: <laughs> it sounds really nice uh, and I think I could do it if we all had our individual living units within a larger unit but no I, I, I treasure my space and I treasure other people's spaces and it would be a very very high bar for me to, to leap over in order to integrate that so I don't think I'll be a commune person
0: I think we're on the same page there Dylan What is the great? uh, This has been my final question for the last couple of episodes I've done. What is the greatest piece of advice that you've ever been given?
1: I've never been asked that before. (laughs) Huh. See, I wish I had something better than something stupid. Like, wife twice, not once. (laughs)
0: uh,
1: Oh, man. Oh, okay. I don't have a direct quote or anything, but like, Understanding that you can't control everything and you can't control how everybody feels, but that I can control what I put out into the world and what I do and to a good amount, to a limited extent, but still important, like how I feel. So don't worry so much about what other people are are doing. No, that's not right. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... I can't control what other people do or feel, but I can control what I do or feel and what I put under the world. So if I'm really, really worried about what other people are doing, maybe understand why that is instead of just understanding that it is. And then it's like, okay, now I don't have to worry. It's either in, in my control or not. they are either going to do something or not. I just have to be ready for what it might be. Yeah, that's it.
0: That is perfect advice. I need to kind of uh, keep that in the back of my head as well promote anything plug anything
1: you know yeah sure like i i wish i had more to plug but even though i have a ton of projects out there right like life on the swing side is still the biggest thing i do and it's uh because it's been out there for 10 years it feels like a bit of an institution like even though i gave birth to it it's also like i'm i need to be responsible for it and the things that it puts out there and the communities that it's kind of accidentally created so uh, it's Ginger and I doing it now. It, it's my focus. It's Ginger's focus. And we put a lot of work into having other people on and kind of standing out of the way when we're talking about something or sit, yeah, getting out of the way when other people want to talk about something. So, like, my favorite thing to do is to find people and get them talking to each other on the podcast. Not so I don't have to, but because then it's about them and it's not about me. So that's what I want. The thing that I'm working on, the thing that I'm building to be, be, right? I want it to be a platform for people to come on and have those those discussions and introduce different ideas out in the world. And just craft it and make sure that it keeps going. And yeah, have a good time while I'm doing it. And yeah, get uh, more attention and get more listeners and stuff like that. Because the bigger platform it is, the more good it can do. So... Listen to Life on the Swingset. It's at lifeontheswingset.com. swingset.com. You can look for Life on the Swing Set on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, all that stuff. And you can find me on Twitter at Dylan the Thomas. Argue with me sometime. It'll be fun.
0: <laughs> you're not. You are not a particularly argumentative person. Like, I've
1: had my faces. But <laughs> in,
0: in, in my time being on Twitter, you know, R I P my Twitter account. I, I you are always pretty like chill.
1: I think so. Yeah. I I, tr- I try that. That's a conscious decision. Like, it's real easy to get angry, and it's real easy to to express divisive opinions that feel good and that are right, but that people won't hear. Right, and there is room for. There's a need for people that talk that way. One hundred percent. People need to be challenged, and people need people to challenge them. It's just not what I choose to do. Like if if somebody's going to go up to somebody and say, "Hey, you're 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 a you are a bad person because you've done this thing," right? That's up to somebody else to say that. I'll go up to somebody and say, "Hey, what you did wasn't cool, or your belief isn't cool. Let's talk about it." So, I'll do a lot of emotional labor so that other people who have way more reasons to be angry than me don't have to do it.
0: That's, that's the vibe I get from you. You seem like a very emotionally together person. You're like, you are a dad. Like, even with, you know, when I was part of the, the panel, like, we were a, a fairly volatile, emotionally volatile group. Um, and you are kind of the steady hand. So, Glad it felt- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, you know, and I appreciate that, and I love that about you—that you just kind of you seem like a very like steady person in the maelstrom of you know emotional people. A steady hand in the maelstrom of emotional people—that's what Dylan Thomas is for many, whether they're friends, family, or the listeners of his podcast. To find out more about that podcast, by the way, go to lifeonaswingset.com. And you can also listen to the Life on the Swing Set podcast on just about every platform in existence. It's on Spotify, it's on iTunes, it's on Stitcher, it's everywhere. Also, follow Dylan on Twitter and or Instagram at DylanTheThomas. I want to thank Dylan for taking the time to chat about topics that very rarely get discussed amongst people in general, not just men. If there's something that you would like to discuss, whether by being a guest on detoxicity or just because it's a topic on your mind that you'd like to know more about, please reach out to me at detoxpod at gmail.com. And you can also DM me on Instagram at its Mike Joseph. May is mental health awareness month, and there are many great organizations out there spreading the gospel of mental health. If you are experiencing issues with depression, anxiety, addiction, or the many different variants of mental health challenges, please know that you're not alone. I urge you to take the time to speak to a friend, seek out a therapist, get help. It is never too late. And if you are thinking about taking your own life or know someone who is, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That number is 1-800-273-8255. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or Podbean, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss another episode, and please use the hashtag DetoxPod if you're discussing the show online. Leave a review anywhere that you can, and make sure to tell your friends about Detoxicity if you think they'll enjoy it. Or even if they won't enjoy it, maybe they'll get something out of it. You can also like this podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash detox Or you can follow me or slide into my DMs on Instagram at it's Mike joseph. My name is Mike Joseph, and I thank you all for listening. Once again, stay safe and healthy. Peace.